Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with James Nokise, uh, who is a friend of the podcast and a friend of mine. We talk about fantasy novels and uh, going back to your childhood, rereading things and finding that difficult. Um, I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it as a conversation. I will t- do a solo episode next week to talk about the Amazon Prime special. I'm still kind of sorting through the post-math, um, uh, post-math? aftermath of that and my brain has been a bit fried um my stuff is up online on my patreon um there's ethos which i've updated the link to as well as a link to the resistance to download for five dollar subscribers all the other stuff it's available on you can find me online thank you so much for listening thanks so much for your support please recommend this to people if you like it and so on and so forth i'll talk to you next week you're having tea with alice So, who are you and what are you drinking? Uh, my name is James Nokise and I am drinking uh, English Rose uh, tea. An English Rose black tea? English Rose black tea uh, with uh, chocolate biscuit. Yes, and it's from a, an Alice in Wonderland tea set that was gotten for me by a fan of Tea with Alice, which is <laughs> delightful. That's great. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out, I think I'm, I'm either the, the hatter or the hare in this one. You feel you feel an identification with the hat or the hair. Well, I feel you're probably Alice. Probably in this situation, <laughs> which I guess means uh, I feel like I'm the hair. I feel like I'm not good enough. I'm not mad enough to organise a tea party, but I'd definitely be like I'm you're the just fl- enjoying it. The hair is really the flavour flavour of the tea party. <laughs> the March hair, they're massive. Have you seen them? They are, yeah. They're, they're, they're absolutely really massive. large animals. Yeah, if, if you took a lot of drugs in the 60s and came across a March Hare, you'd, you'd write Alice in Wonderland as well. Absolutely. Like, they're like walruses, ironically as well. Walruses way bigger than you think. Way bigger. Way bigger. Like, way bigger. Like, cow bigger. Like, you think of them as big, but then, but even cows yeah. are a lot bigger than you think of them let as me, big. Let me quantify it for listeners. To a cow. Like, American cow. You know how, like, Australia, New Zealand, British cows are, like, normal? You can normal. walk up to the cow and conceptualise the size of the cow. Yeah. Yes. Whereas, like, American cows are so big, if you walk up to them, you're worried that they're going to find out what you do with them. And that's how the revolution begins. <laughs> like, if Orwell wrote Animal Farm now, there'd be American-sized cows in there. As, oh, yeah. As the tanks. Yeah. I mean, everything in America is bigger. What have you been wrestling with of late? Um, I have been wrestling with, I've been uh, decompressing from uh, the Edinburgh uh, French Festival and all of the psychological trauma of that. And I've gone to one of my safe spaces. Uh, as you know, one of them is eating fried chicken in the shower. And mm-hmm. um, another one is going to see some good, stupid movies, which I know we've both seen. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> but also one of them is, and probably for a lot of people, is um, the books you read as a kid. Um, and I was a, a massive reader, and I had two genres I loved, one of which was horror. Oh, interesting. I re- uh, read a lot of... I, re- I did a book report when I was 12, um, no, 11, on um, Stephen King's It. Oh, gosh. Which I thought was, like, a, a, an adventure about kids, because you get the book and you go, oh, this is about kids, and I think, oh, it's not. No. No. Uh, I, I read some scenes in that book, which thankfully are not in the film, because that would have been awkward viewing. Um, but I was like, Is okay. it the orgy? It's the orgy. It's um, always the it's orgy. Always, it's always the orgy. But, <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
and the other one uh, I read was fantasy, fantasy novels. Yeah, see, now that's where we join forces. I'm, for me, it was sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, right. um, I wasn't a massive sci-fi person. Interesting. I think I went in and out of it because I think a lot of that golden age sci-fi writing that's so applauded and so mm. lauded uh, is a little bit, um, not to be too unpolitically politically incorrect, a little bit spectrum-y <laughs> in the way that the plots tend to focus on action rather than emotion and, and the way that humans behave seems to be quite opaque in those books. You don't get a lot of a sense of an internal life. I, w I was going to say that, that those books are, are basically just the, the generation just before us and that's why I wasn't big on sci-fi. But yeah, <laughs> spectrum me. Yeah, that's, well, yeah, that's good because, you know, like necromancy and... Um, no, not necromancy, um, neuromancy. Neuromancy. <laughs> That's how much of a sci-fi geek I was, kind of, in there. But, you know, neuromancy and all those... Well, books. see, I got into sci-fi via neuromancer specifically because really? in my dad's office, my dad did a, was a copyright mm. uh, activist and, and he, you know, made this not-for-profit that did copyright stuff. In his office there were a bunch of really boring law books and then there was also... Neuromancer by William Gibson. Wow. Which okay. was the first mention of, I think, the word internet. Yeah. I think it was the first use of the word internet. And so it was in my dad's work library. Mm. So I read it when I was, you know, I think I had a day off school for being sick and mum was sick as well. So I, I was at, at the office with dad. Um, and so I read that there very young. And mm. I think that started me off on that. And then... I hit Lois McMaster Bujold at just the right age where I was starting to become disillusioned by mm. the emotionlessness of mm. those stories and then that opens up a whole new world of kind of space opera. Well, that's the thing with space opera and even with sci-fi. And um, listeners, please feel free to tweet us recommendations because I think part of why I got into fantasy was that I was young. Uh-huh. And sci-fi protagonists... Uh, I think it's the reason you appreciate sci-fi more as you become an adult, as you can grasp what they're talking about a lot easier. But also the protagonists are more easy to relate to because they're more often than not adults. Uh -huh. You know, the exception, of course, being Ender's Game, but it's not really, again, like Stephen King said, not necessarily for kids. <laughs> you know, you got to... You didn't, we didn't have the internet back then. You couldn't Google what genocide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So, and, you know, when you're... Um, I mean, I have my siblings, but my uh, dad moved country when I was um, 13. And so I was living alone with my mom. And, you know, when you're 13 and you're living alone with a parent, that's optimum dive into fantasy literature. Oh, yeah. You know, because, you know, 80% of the books start with a kid who's either an orphan or they're living alone. Yeah. Or they're about to become an orphan in Chapter 3. By the way, uh, anyone listening to this now, uh, and you, James, if you ever lose a parent, yeah. do not watch Disney movies. Oh, no. I once thought that was a good idea on a plane from Sydney to Perth and uh, relatively soon after my mum had died, and it was terrible. Oh, no. Heartbreaking. Like, it's just so bad. They just dispense with the parents in the first five minutes of basically every single one of those films. Yeah, my... um. My stepmother passed a couple of years ago, and um, my step siblings weren't thinking anything of it. And with my, my nieces and nephews watching Lion King, oh, and no. they just weren't thinking of it. 
And it re really wasn't up until Simba is in the stampede. <laughs> and then they didn't say anything. They just all left the room and went and had a smoke for about half an hour. <laughs> Came back into Hakuna Matata. <laughs> I've always loved that, that, this, that, that way that trauma can bring people together. Yeah. So. But the thing is, I've been picking up these books. Um, and I had to pick up multiple books because what I like to do often is actually revisit. Because back in my parents' places, um, I've got all of these fancy novels. Because I just collected them. Yeah. And again, like this is before the internet, um, yeah. on the cusp of the internet, really. So you just go, and books are a lot cheaper back then. So you could just have, you know, a book in a week, or if you're really deep diving, a couple of books a week. Um, you know, you can empty out the school library, then you can go to a public library. We all used to hang at the library after school, because um, that was like a, a safe place where your parents would let you all hang out yeah. together. So as long as you're in and around the library, so you can pick up books there. And, I mean, a lot of the fantasy series I used to read, they, they really shaped me as someone who loved language. And also, I've come to understand, shaped a lot of my interactions with people in my late teens and my early 20s. Mm. And I sometimes feel some of the, the work that my friends and the emotional labor that my friends and my partners have had to do over the years is because growing up a solo kid in those formative teenage years, a lot of my life lessons ended up coming from books. Yeah. And I'm reading a lot of fancy novels. So I picked up, as an example, one of my earliest binge reads. Mm. Uh, again, listeners who are not old enough to remember a time before Netflix and box sets. Back before there were box sets, there were book sets. And you used to just binge read I would, yeah, it's still something that I do. It's still one of the, I would call it an addiction, except that it's relatively harmless if I'm mm. under pressure or under stress mm. and it gets too much. I will disappear mm. for three days into a book hole and read six books. Yeah. And it's, 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 you know, it's knowing, it's creating a mental health safe space before we had the language. Yeah. Now, it's exactly the same when I was going through the trauma of my, of my dad leaving or of, any, you know, hard emotional stuff. Just as a very quick side note, I've realised when talking to particularly older men of the Australian grumpy school, mm -hmm. that if you tell them what the, the specific language actually means, they're mm. so much less threatened by it. <laughs> like if you articulate what emotional labour is, yeah. rather than calling it emotional labour, they're like, oh, oh, well, that's fine then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just, that's just what people do, you know. Yeah. It's giving it the label that turns it into something that they feel they can't relate to. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, rather than uh, my mates having to fix me um, in, the, uh, <laughs> in my 20s, yeah. um, I, I remember I was so captured by the books and the, and the narrative and the journey and the growth. The growth was important because this character could grow, I could grow. So I go back and I pick up um, this guy called David Eddings, mm -hmm. who wrote, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we, yep. basically wrote the same series um, over and over again. Uh, first one, famous one, was called The Bulgaria, then did The Malorian, then I think he did The Elenium, which was a different world, but really the same, you know, the same, the same story. And um, The Bulgaria, it's about this, this young, young boy living on a farm uh, with his auntie. He's an orphan, 
Uh, and uh, there's an old storyteller that comes and visits. Yes, it's, I mean, not to say that it's just David Eddings that has written this story again and again, <laughs> Star Wars, but um, yes, yeah. it's a story I'm familiar with. Go on. No, it turns out that the old man uh, is oh. a wizard. <laughs> Uh, and in and, and a twist, so is his auntie, and his auntie is the old man's daughter, and, uh, and he is the chosen one. Mm. Um, and, you know, when, you, when you're young, you go like, yeah, this, this seems cool. But, man, I was rereading, the thing about being the chosen one and being 13 is mm. that you had suddenly, he gets to get taught everything by all the adults who are written into his life. Mm-hmm. And all the adults who have written into this kid's life are just giant cliches. And so as a young person reading that, you know, as a teenager reading that, you are presented with human interactions with cliches. Mm-hmm. And Eddings is kind of notorious for putting people in boxes. Like his whole world is essentially these people live here, therefore they act like this. These people live here, therefore they act like this. There is nothing I find more infuriating in this, particularly sci-fi, it's particularly bad for this, particularly mm. intergalactic sci-fi, where yeah. you go, this race does this particular form of yeah. work. I mean, again, And you're like, and when they're speaking about race, they're speaking about an entire planet full of people. Yeah. So it's bad enough when you have a stereotype of a race, you know, whatever, in, on Earth we have... The idea that Chinese people are better at being accountants yeah. than other people. That's a stereotype I have encountered before. But this is the equivalent of going not just is there a, a tendency towards this person being better at this kind of thing. It's that all Chinese people are all accountants. Mm. And, in fact, all people on this whole planet are Chinese. Well, you know, you're Australian. You must be good at barbecues. Yes. Uh, New Zealand uh, must be good at rugby. Yeah. And... It's really interesting to go back and see that, you know, these books are heralded. Yeah, right? they, they are. all goblins are bankers. Yeah, like, yeah. All, hashtag not all goblins. Where are the art goblins, man? Where are the art goblins? Where, yeah, where, where are the outliers? Where's the homeless goblins? <laughs> you know, where's the, where's the punk goblins? And I want to go to a punk goblin warehouse party, man. But it's, these, these books are sort of, like, if I look at, if I look at Eddings, there's, the world he's building is kind of like a pseudo-Europe. Mm. And a lot of these books, um, you know, you look at uh, Terry Brooks and uh, his uh, Shannara series. Yes. Which, again, um, sword, uh, what's it? the Sword of Shannara was sort of considered like the next great fantasy series after Tolkien. Yeah. And, it's a, you know, if you haven't read it, guys, it's about this kid. And he's, uh, he's a young guy, and he's, um, he's living in a village. And then this uh, traveller comes along. It turns out the traveller is a wizard. Yes, and also his, the people who he's always thought was his parents are yeah. not in fact his parents, so no. he is sneakily an orphan. Yeah, sneak, he's, he's a sneaky orphan, because right? sometimes he's a sneaky orphan. Now, the wizard's name in Shannara is Alanin, which sounds like Aslan, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's important because a lot of modern Western fantasy comes out of uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. As a side, as a side note, what I find fantastic and something that if we're going to talk about more fantasy stuff, uh, we will come across regularly, is that having read these books and created these worlds in your own mind, 
you, when you talk to somebody else about them, you'll realise that either you or they mm. have either a mental typo or a mispronunciation. Yeah. So I always read Aladdin as Al-Anon. Maybe, look, maybe it is. Maybe I, it is, I, I am, don't know. I am renowned amongst my friends and family for uh, mispronouncing words uh, constantly because I often read them and yeah. never hear them. It's a sign of an autodidact, and it's a habit that I have in a few of my friends, and I find it incredibly charming. Because <laughs> it's somebody who knows something, but they've yeah. never been in an environment where they could talk about it. Yeah. I, um, I once did a lecture at university on the Pacific diaspora. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. I educated university children. Yeah. <laughs> well, grown-ass adults, 1920. And I stood for two, we did a two-hour lecture on the state of the Pacific diaspora. I mean, they probably thought they were wrong. I, I think they, I think because there was only five Pacific Islanders uh, in in the uh, lecture, which was an issue in and of itself, uh, I think they just thought that was the Pacific pronunciation. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's good to be an outsider if you're yeah. going to get something wrong, because you'd be like, yeah, yeah, but in Australia, that's what we call it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's like accidentally playing the race Specifically in card. my suburb. Like, you way. don't play the race card if people just assume stuff about your race. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's not playing the race card. It's handy. Yeah. It's convenient. So you came across these books. We're talking about Sh Shannara or Shannara or whatever. Shannara, yeah, oh, gosh, here we go. Um, Shannara. Uh, which is, uh, well, the reason... I would go back to these books at the moment because a lot of them have become television series, mm. which, you know, your inner child goes, yay, now I can finally see it and learn how the names are pronounced. <laughs> and, oh, they seem to be filming in New Zealand. And, oh, there seems to be a lot of Kiwis in all of these casts. And that's great. But... How did Kiwis become the default setting for all, like... Just like fantasy, Lord of the Rings. It's been since... No, I think it was before Lord of the Rings. It was Xena, Warrior, Princess. It's Hercules. Yeah, Hercules, Hercules and Xena. Hercules and Xena was a lot of New Zealand actors. We had easy landscape. It was either going to be us or Croatia. Are you a Maori or Pacific Islander extraction? Mm. Can you throw yourself backwards Interesting. <laughs> when someone pretends to punch you? Interesting side note. Um... Ares, the god of war and yes. main protagonist for Xena, yes. was... Childhood crush? Yes. Well, that is legendary uh, New Zealand comedian uh, Kevin Smith. There you go. Who tragically died, but who the, um, the, the, mass, the achievement of the year at the New Zealand Comedy Guild Awards, um, that's been won by like Flight of the Concords uh, and um, Taika Waititi, is called the Kevin Smith Memorial um, for achievement in comedy. That's amazing. Um, and I think it's because he played Ares and Xena. Almost certainly. Yeah, but he was a he was an, a proper not an actor who dabbled. He was a proper stand-up. Um, That's amazing. But he was also so hot. Very attractive man. <laughs> Let it be shown on the record that he was. Well, I think part of what I found attractive about him mm. as a small prepubescent person mm. was. Uh, we were allowed to watch one TV a show a week, so mm. bear in mind this was my exposure to all beauty, mm. um, w was that he looked like he was having fun. Yeah. And that he kind of got it, how ridiculous it was. Yeah, yeah, he looked like a comedian. Like, yeah, like, like, like a comedian had been cast as the God of War. And <laughs> Xena warrior princess, he looked yeah. exactly what he was. Yeah. This is before The Rock had, um, had really redefined what a cheeky eyebrow in an action yeah. film looked like. But here's the thing. So, and this is when I'm reading all these books, and um, they have not they have not aged well. 
Shinara um, as well. Shinara is interesting because Brooks did something I, I think he unintentionally world built. Like he had these other books he was writing as a side note, and then he found a way to tie it all together. And it's actually in that sense he's given Shinara its own originality because the idea is that Shinara is actually a fancy world which is in, in reality the future of our world. Uh-huh. So he tied so it's actually a weird fantasy sci-fi where it's post-apocalyptic. I do enjoy that. Um, mm. One that's particularly good for that is, uh, I was just rereading it the other day, just the other day, um, the, uh, let me pull it up on my little phone book, um, this is one of the problems that we have, uh, here's The Magicians by Lev Grossman, which you recommended oh, the yes. other day. Um, Gene Wolfe, the Gene Wolfe series. Oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah. Shadow of the Torturer. And yeah. That. That's also a kind of a post-futurist yeah. sci-fi fantasy and scenario. He's, he's an interesting protagonist, that one. Severian the Torturer. Yeah, because he's he's like the other guy that you get in fantasy if you don't get the orphan child. Yes. Is the man alone. Well, he's also, though, the orphan child. Well, yeah, yeah, but he's the grown man. Yeah. Like he's the, yeah, he's, the, he's, the, he's again, that's probably why it's a torture. There's a lot of issues here. Yeah. Um, many, me. many issues. Um, he's just, he just needed a hug and he wouldn't have been so torturing. He would not. In fact, after he got a hug, he became heaps less torturing. Yeah. Much more messiah-y. Yeah. Um, Sometimes a torturer is a messiah that needs a hug. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really like, I love fantasy, but I do have to turn off my critical faculties when I read it Mm. and so actually that's one of the things that I like about it is the fact that it requires me in order to enjoy it it requires me to turn off my critical faculties and see that's interesting story that's interesting because these are books which like I said before they're heralded like this is what we are told if we were to be writers Mm. and we were going to write fantasy this is what you should aspire to Mm. yet as readers I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think I can't read these books. I have to treat them like my very fun Jason Statham action films. I've got to take my brain and just put it next to my shoes. Yes, and occasionally mid-film you're like, should he really be punching this uh, guard to death given that the guard is just doing his job as a security guard and you have to just crush down that little no, part no, of human consciousness yep. no, and no. go, but that punch looked really cool, so let's go with it. Yeah, like the, the, yeah. I find, to go back to Eddings, I find his, I find he has some issues with race. I'm not saying he's a racist. I have, you got to, in this current climate, you've got to throw that in there. I don't want to get <laughs> BBC sanctioned. But I, he's, what he does is he paints characters so two-dimensionally. And a bit like with Dan Brown, in the interest of narrative, you kind of go along with it. Yeah. But then you reread. And you go, oh, man, no, this is real. Uh, I, I find that Christianity has a, a big influence that comes into modern fantasy, which we don't really talk about because we're like, I don't know, maybe then we'll see Christianity as a fantasy. And, oh, what in would citations, the Bible should be included a lot more than it is. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of bad guys in the desert. And often it's certainly, you know, often these stories are David versus Goliath you know, or they're just reinterpretations of Jesus or Moses, mm. as Jesus was a reinterpretation of Moses. 
you know, it's that's the same story. Uh, I mean, but we don't we can't really talk about Abrahamic uh, fantasy novels, can we? <laughs> Even I mean, though, I don't see why we can't. I it, think we should. I think we should talk about that. We can create our own classification system. But like, we could because I think that that would, if you can show a link to how archaic, and I just mean that in the sense of time, not in terms of an insult, how archaic this stuff is, then you can go, oh yeah, that's why women like are so two-dimensional in these stories well so that's a really interesting thing for me as somebody who read these books growing up i identified for the most part with the protagonist who was usually not always but usually a guy Mm. and as such now going back to them as a grown-up and having been and this is true i had a twin brother We grew up. I knew I was the girl one but didn't really see what a difference that made, Mm -hmm. except where it did make a difference and then we we would, you know, talk about that, Mm. you know, going home alone from a party late at night when Mm. we were teenagers or whatever it happened to be and we'd sit down and talk about the fact that I was a girl so I couldn't, Mm. whatever it happened to be. Um, It was comedy that forced me to think of myself as a woman, Mm. as a female comedian rather than just a comedian until Mm. that point. Really, I had thought that I could just get away with being a person Mm. and being taken kind of on my own terms, Mm. Um, which is naive of me, massively naive, but it is what it is. No, no, I can relate that because it's the same with me. Like Comedy forced me to evaluate where I am in terms of, you know, racial politics and how I identify with my cultures. But when I'm reading the book... You know, blonde hair, blue eye, pale skin, grew up in a land of snow. Yeah, that's probably me. That's yeah. uh, I see, obviously, in the story, that's who I am. Yeah. The, uh, the cheeky, skinny, uh, mixed race a guy who seems to be agile and always has a quick one-liner. I don't, that's, that doesn't... Probably has knives, usually has knives. Always has knives. Very skillful with his knives, a little bit flexible in the morality yeah. stakes. Yeah. Bit, bit thievey, bit knifey. Yeah. Who is yep. absolutely my character, Ooh. like in both computer games and also yeah. <laughs> mainly in life as well. We live in London. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the funny thing is that you relate to that hero. Yeah. And I think that shapes, I, I do actually think that, that can really shape you because if you're reading the stuff in your formative years of, of creating your personality... I think it certainly shaped me. Like, in, you can always rewrite things however you want and write, write yourself in, into things. But that idea of myself as this kind of central character probably mm. shaped my idea of myself as being able to walk through the world on my own terms. Mm. And then when I realised that I couldn't or wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed to, comedy is your way of remedying that. Comedy is your way mm. of, you know, shaping the world, mm. at least for an hour you create the terms in which you're operating and people come to you. But I think this is a, a I think it's such an interesting um, topic, the idea of kind of going back and reading it now as a woman mm. rather than reading it as a neutral non-entity, as a child, mm. even a young person, as I sort of conceived of myself. Reading it as a woman, then it's much more problematic. Mm. I find it harder to kind of brush over the non-player characters and the way that they're characterised and talked about. But I feel like maybe it's one of the reasons why I think there's some problems with 
with the way that you, they treat women, that the people who are getting into fantasy can treat women. Some of them can be very, very good, extraordinarily good, and others can use... I think they feel like the develop, character development of the protagonist is a proxy for their own character development. Like, if he's growing and learning, they must be somehow mm. by observing it or by being engaged with it. Mm. But so what are they growing and learning? Yeah. Because if your view of women is being shaped in some part by what you're reading yeah. of a character's view of women, mm. like if, you're, if you think that the way to interact with women is the way that you've read, like, and, and again, this is not the only thing that factors into like how we grow as people, but you know, if, if like the fact, or just the fact that everyone, I remember one of the funny things about editing is everyone gets coupled up, yeah, and yes, everyone is partnered off, and the only ones who aren't are the eunuchs, like yeah. the, and there's no gay people, no, but and the closest that there are are like eunuchs, yeah. Like, they're effect, but sexually non-threatening by virtue of being eunuchs. Yeah, um, and it's again, it's it's a, it's a fancy world, but I mean, it's the same with Tolkien. Um, but Tolkien, I mean, you know, Tolkien's hilariously the joke I always do on stage is Tolkien was a genius at racial segregation. Like, there's all of these ancient races, and no one's like interacting with each other. You know, elves stay in the forest. Yep. And, um, you have occasional interbreeding, yeah. but only of humans yeah. with elves. Yeah. That seems to be the only crossbreeding that happens, isn't there? Yeah. It, like, and, there's, and, and, and that's how you get an orphan who's the chosen one. Yep. You know, <laughs> yep. And you know, all you need is to have, this is a hobbit shop for hobbit people, because the hobbits just live in Hobbiton. Yep. And the only people and who go between the races are the wizards. Yeah. Wizards and rangers, maybe. Mm. They're sort of subpar wizards. Outcasts. Outcasts. And, yeah, that, that, uh, that idea of, of the outcasts and the... the ser- and, of course, you then, in reading that, you identify yourself with the outcasts. Mm. But it, 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 the outcasts are never questioning or breaking down those interracial boundaries. They're just moving between them mm. and negotiating them. Mm. I think it... A lot of those books can be very um, pacifying in some ways. Mm. Go along to get along, figure out your own path through. Sure, you're an outsider, but you're special, so just wait for the wizard to come along and he'll tell you what to do. Yeah, it might not be... You might feel like you're alone and you're not doing anything, but actually... Someone's writing about you right now. (laughs) Yeah, and you are, in fact, a king waiting to become... Uh, and or or a queen maybe, um, and you know if you've got friends who are from different countries, yeah, they're they're probably there to help you on your journey to be the hero. We need to talk about this more. I have to head off in a minute, um, but I think we need to talk about this more and in more like closely categorized ways, mm. because of course there are exceptions to every rule when we're talking very broadly about. Like these specifically, I think, sort of 80s, uh, I mean, 70s, um, epics. a period from the mid 70s through to the mid 90s. Mm. If you want to look at it, it's post Tolkien, mm. um, even post, uh, I'd say it's Terry, it's Shannara, 
Sword of Shannara through to Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. um, to Martin's first book, which I think is like mid-90s. Yes. And that's like a high period in very influential fantasy and sci-fi, but particularly in fantasy. Because we haven't even talked about Robert Jordan. No, oh the, my goodness. The, man the Wheel who, of Time. The man who died before his series was finished. <laughs> Robert Jordan. And even Brand, uh, Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson, who turns out books at such a rate of knots. Yeah. Astonishing. I know, he should be a detective fiction writer. <laughs> but, I mean, and it is, I think the thing that I find interesting to tie it out is that in looking back at all of this fiction, which really was a gateway for me into the arts, mm. into understanding and being passionate about language and that, so much of it is problematic in today's world. And I go, is it inherently problematic? I'm not talking about like cancelling it or like yeah, no, forgetting no, it. God, I no, I can't cancel these things. They're part of my childhood. No, no, exactly. So you, it's more about like going back and I look at them and I go, man, I wonder, you know, I wonder if I can see my behaviour here and see the influence. Not as an excuse, yeah. not like going, well, obviously I behaved like this because I read it in this book. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, looking at this, these things which influenced me, all of these fantasy series, and go, if, if I was more aware. Yes. Of what would I need to have been told before I read this? Yeah. To have uh, cushioned its impact on me. It's the pinch of salt. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm... No, because I, you read... The, at that age, you just suck things into your brain. Absolutely. Whereas I feel like if, if you are going to read these books now, uh, we're at a point, you know, where they are becoming big TV series, where they are getting uh, adapted, where I, I feel like we haven't properly had the little pinches of salts yeah. sprinkled on all these little novels to go, oh, yeah, by the way, when you go into this, just be aware. It's a little bit... Yeah, I think there's something to be said for reading things blind and there mm. is something to be said for reading things with context. Mm. With when you have a question or when something comes up or when a word comes up that you don't recognise and you go, oh, you know, hey, Dad, what does this word mean? Uh, that, that, that At that point, the person goes, so the reason you don't know what this word means is because we don't use that word anymore and here are the reasons why or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, like I like how... And, um, and David Eddings basically has sign language or variation of sign language as the language of spies. <laughs> but there's only like one language of um, spies, which is so world famous that all the other spies around the world learn the language. <laughs> and so it kind of becomes a really weird language of spies. I mean, yeah, I, let's, let's get into this. Uh, I think we should, and, and I was talking to you about this before, I think we should pitch this as its own show. Uh, so if you're listening and you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear a more structured version of James and I talking about fantasy novels, uh, email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com or tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. -E. James can be found on... Uh, at James Nakuse on Twitter. Tweet me uh, your recommendations for fantasy books uh, to read because I'm still a big fan of the genre and I want to read some nice stuff. I would like also, I'm always up for a recommendation, uh, particularly of good fantasy or good sci-fi. Um, thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you.
do you know or do you not? This dolphin mistress we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you dolphins, cry up your ends. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. And when the boss he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifles all, lally rifles day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifles all, lally rifles day.